thank you, John, for, for doing this. I'll just jump right into it because for those that don't know, this is actually your second introduction to the podcast. Uh, you were last on previously way back in 2018 as the guest to the very first episode. So to those that are just jumping in now, and this is probably your first episode, if you want a lot of insight from John, then go back to the very first episode. But since that first episode, now that you're my equal as a host of your own particular branch of social media and not just a guest, can you explain a little bit about yourself since you were my very first guest? And then we could talk about what you're doing in collaboration together today with me. So if I recall this correctly, yes, I was your guest in your podcast when I was still living in Hong Kong. So I had a business actively engaging in social media space to create a personal brand, mainly using the app Periscope. And you also were a Periscoper. So we were doing a lot of live streams. I think it was the beginning. It was the beginning of my entrepreneur journey related to social media platforms. So since then, I have moved to Chiang Mai, Thailand, with my wife, mainly because she's from Thailand. I see Chiang Mai, her hometown, a better place to raise kids, our kids. So we didn't have any kids when we were living in Hong Kong. We got married about seven years ago, uh, but then we wanted, to we wanted to have kids. Because of that, we moved to Chiang Mai. This is in 2017, I believe. So this is year three. This is more than year three. This is year three and seven months living here as a Hong Kong person. And what are you doing at the moment in Chiang Mai? Now that I'm in Chiang Mai for three years, I've actually expanded my presence in terms of social media content creation or management. Uh, I've created another Facebook page called Married to Chiang Mai. It's mainly uh, a platform or geared towards Hong Kong people to share my life in Chiang Mai. It's in Cantonese, so you would have to understand Cantonese to engage with the content. But I also do live stream because it's my favorite type of content. So every Sunday, in the evening, I would pick a topic, go live for an hour, and share my life here in Thailand as a Hong Kong person. So there's that. I'm also creating a co-living, co-working space in town. So this is a new project that I started early this year, 2020. I would say 70% completed. And when Thailand opens, um, there will be 27 rooms plus about 30 working spaces for people from Thailand from all over the world to to come in, stay and, and and collaborate with each other. That's great as long as the COVID goes away. Right, as long as COVID goes away. And I'm still doing my regular Periscope. We have to say that you focus mainly on live streams. You don't do a lot of pre-recorded content. The reason why you're here when bringing John to the table is because he, just like myself, interviews lots of interesting people. They are within his sphere of interests. But I do see a lot of overlap and I'm interested and excited to sort of bring John to my podcast where he's doing a live stream and then I'll edit everything that he's doing to fit the podcast that is for Hello from Hong Kong. And it fits inside the theme that I've set up for the podcast, which is Hello from Hong Kong. I'm a Westerner living in Hong Kong and John is a Hong Konger, but he's saying hello in a different way to other people in another part of the world. So hopefully together we can collaborate in such a way that we can fill in the gaps, look for some relationships between Thailand and Hong Kong, and maybe even get some insights as from yourself as a Hong Konger uh, to correspond with whatever I'm doing in Hong Kong itself. That's about a fair summation. Sum 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 uh, is that a fair summary? Yes. And hello again. So what's going to happen is that from now on, John will do a little introduction with me. We'll have a little bit of a repartee and we'll find out what John wanted to do with his guest on his live stream. Fair warning, these are live streams. So John interacts with a live audience, whereas I tend to go for pre-recorded materials. In that vein, John will come on, summarize what he's been doing, what was his objectives uh, with the guest and what was the overall impression he got with the guest. And then we'll just launch into the podcast after our little introduction. Same as basically what we're going to do here. So with having said that, who do you normally try to interview in your live streams? And what are the objectives with this live stream 
that we've that we're going to share today uh using the app periscope i create a whole bunch of different live streams it gets really random but there's a couple series that i created over the years that i quite enjoy myself uh, one of them is called whole interview basically i i encounter a lot of people you know just because I like meeting new people. And if I identify someone who has an interesting story to share, doesn't really has to be any category. I ask them to sit down with me and I invite them to have a conversation, usually very casual with my audience, with my viewers, and we talk about everything. But obviously being in Asia as a Hong Kong person, using English as the medium to communicate, there's a lot of conversations that these interviewers, being in it, Thailand or Hong Kong or wherever I go when I do the whole interview, uh, I'm always bringing in the perspective of the region that I live in and you're from wherever. And when you come here, what is your perspective of this region in the world? When I say this region, I mean Southeast Asia or Asia and or ASEAN. And, and so people, people like to see that perspective of usually it's a Westerner having experience working here, creating a business, studying here, living here. Um, they bring their perspectives to the conversation. And, and I like that. And audience seems they, they seem to be quite engaged with that. Okay, good. And this first guest that we're introducing to the podcast is who and what were the objectives? Marcus is a person I've met in a group of entrepreneurs. He's from Sweden, but he's also traveled around the world. And he also spent quite a few years studying in China, mainland China, in a university that's quite famous, Fudan. Uh, and he also spent a few months or almost a year in Hong Kong. He's currently in Chiang Mai, rediscovering himself and creating a new business for himself, perhaps. I decided to sit down with him, get to know him, why he decided to study in China and how he ended up in Thailand. And what were some of the... Uh... What were some of the takeaways for people who are about to listen? Because it's a casual conversation, it's more I'm very curious to understand why him as a Swedish guy all of a sudden decided to move to Asia. And what has he experienced uh, with the culture differences, with the people he encountered, with his goals in life? Any, anyone who's listening to the podcast or the people, the viewers who also see, see the scope, I think there has to be a fundamental interest in Asia. If you have that interest, and this is a perspective that could be something you have not heard before or you have not seen before, it's, a, it's an experience, right? It's like watching a, a talk show, but you as a person have your individual thoughts on a certain topic, and now someone introduces you, possibly a different perspective. And for me, uh, in terms of personal growth and just understanding the world in a multiple... I think we don't need to say any more. I think we should just get on with the interview and check back in with you for the next episode. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks, John. I have Marcus with me today. Hello, guys. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a more casual talk than the previous interview, uh, but... Um, Marcus is also a new friend of mine. I have met him a few weeks ago through Christian. So we're also in the recharge um, office. Your name is Marcus. Hello, Marcus. <laughs> Are you from Sweden? <laughs> um, but yeah, man, um, you're in Chiang Mai. Yeah. And previous, uh, prior to Chiang Mai, where were you? Uh, Bangkok. And before that? US. And before that? Hong Kong. And then? Beijing. And then? Shanghai. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then Sweden. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you've been around. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. For work or you just like to travel? Like what do you do? Why are you um, the place? The reason why I started to spend time in China in the first place was uh, because I was in business school in Sweden mm. and I was in a program where we studied Chinese, how to do business in China and some Mandarin Chinese and Chinese history, Chinese 
politics, stuff like that. Uh, okay. So I did some exchange studies at the Fudan University in Shanghai. Okay. Can you hear Marcus okay? Uh, we, didn't, we didn't use a mic today, I'm just using my phone. Uh, so Fudan University, and you guys probably don't know this, but it's actually one of the top-notch it's not a business university. No, it's, a, it's just a university, university right? But it's yeah. one of the top universities in China. How the hell did you get into it? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> the, the, the business school uh, that I enrolled uh, the, in the program uh, that I enrolled in the business school in Sweden in, at Gothenburg University uh, had like a deal with Fudan. Mm. So like we were like a little group of like maybe 12 people. We went to Fudan. We did some uh, business projects. Actually, we, we, we went out to these uh, industrial zones all over uh, Shanghai, did, doing some field work and interviewing people and, and, and uh, compiled like an, a little essay mm. uh, about that and foreign direct investments going into those industrial zones in Shanghai. And also, we studied Mandarin Chinese. So I suppose you were interested in businesses operating in China as a Swedish, the, not the government, but you decided to go in and check out what it, what's the scene like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what year was that? Um, I was asking. So Fudan was in, what was that, 2007 maybe? So about 13 years ago? Yeah. Quite a different scene than, than today yeah, in China. Yeah, a lot of things have uh, right. changed. Learn a lot with Swedes. Worked yeah. for a Swedish company and have been to Stockholm many times. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Someone's familiar with your yeah. country. Did you mingle with the Chinese students in Fudan University? Uh, to some extent, yes. Uh, but uh, a lot of the time, it's just like the, the group from, from my university. We went, so we, we didn't have any uh, local people in our group. Oh, okay. So it's like more... Um, during our free time, mm. we spend time with Chinese people. And what is your impression of the people studying, the Chinese people studying in Fudan University? They study hard for sure. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't, wouldn't have gotten into Fudan in the first place. For sure, because it's super competitive. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but you don't study with them because it's a different program. Yeah, it's a different program for mm, sure. Mm, for sure. Mm. I, I, I don't know how to compare it with universities or educational institutions from other places, but imagine a place of 1.6 billion people, a country, and you have only a handful of universities equivalent to Fudan. So every year there's about, I don't know how many millions or a hundred millions of people fighting for these spots. And I can only imagine the competitiveness and how much you have to study in order to get enrolled. Yeah. So you're basically in a school with the smartest people in China. Mm. What do you feel about that? I feel good about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I used to be in a school with the smartest people in Sweden. So. Yeah. Ah, so you're one of those boys too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but for when it comes to like studying right. with uh, Chinese or studying, so I was uh, at business school in Hong Kong, CUHK. Uh, and there I was studying with uh, Hong Kongese people. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Was it Chinese university first or Fudan University? Fudan University first and okay. then Chinese University of Hong Kong. And do you see a difference between the people in China versus the people in Hong Kong? Yeah, definitely. And now we have a follow-up question about what the difference is. On, um, yeah, there is a difference. I don't know. I, I think also in terms of interaction, like Hong Kongese people, Hong Kongese people tend to speak better English and tend to be more open to, to, to communicate and hang out with Western people, whilst Chinese people tend to stick to themselves in, to a greater extent, mm. like in, in my experience. And that's what happens also, even, even at the CUHK, there was a lot, a lot of people from mainland China and they kind of stuck to themselves in their own group like, and I think that happens also when they come to Sweden for example they also stick to themselves in their own groups and they don't interact that much with other people in general there are exceptions of course but 
Well, language barrier is definitely one. Yeah. Because, I mean, if I don't speak English well enough to communicate with you, then yeah. I'll put myself into an embarrassing situation. Yeah. That's how, that's how Asians think about it anyway. Yeah. So, you know, they don't, they, they, unless they're very proactive and maybe they're a language major or something. So yeah. that's definitely one. Another thing is the cultural differences. Yeah. And I, I'm sure you felt it when you were in China, when you were in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What was the hardest thing to get used I to? Think, I think there's there's uh, one additional aspect to it when when uh, when those Chinese people study abroad. I think they are also uh, you know guanxi like they're building networks and it's kind of like maybe more important for them to 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 build this kind of uh, connections with the other people they're studying with because they're all going to go back to China and then they're all going to do business together and they have like formed like forged really strong connections mm. uh, and that's which is very important in China uh, for doing business so I think there's there's probably some sense to it as well in terms of that's future business opportunities um, mm. that's interesting to ponder on because let's say uh, networking is key definitely but if, if I were to be studying abroad yeah. I think totally the opposite meaning yeah. I'm very keen on integrating yeah. with the people with the local people yeah. and I want to learn what they how they think what they do so I'm, I'm the opposite, but I totally get why the Chinese would do it because they already know why they're studying yeah. and why they did the program abroad. It's not to be integrated or it's not to understand, unless they're doing a cultural study or anything, right? But when they're studying a major like business or anything, the, the, the network they create within their peers or their students Ultimately, like you said, they know they're going back to China. Yeah, a lot of them come from families that are running family businesses. And right. So they're all like, that's... So it's and, almost... And, and uh, most of the people in their studying with, most of the Western people they're studying with kind of have jobs, right? Right. Um, so it's almost pointless for them to know, get to know you or get to know any, any local Swedish. Yeah, from that perspective, yeah. Right. Just to some extent, yeah. Mm -hmm. Guess looks like the bad guy from Avatar. <laughs> I haven't seen Avatar. I've seen the first one, but I don't know who the bad guy that's is. That's Jonathan JK. That's my buddy from Hong Kong. <laughs> okay. he, 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 he thinks he's funny. How long have you been in Hong Kong? Uh, I was in Hong Kong uh, for about half a year at CUHK. Okay. And then, but then I worked in Hong Kong later in business development. So a total of um, more, more than a year, one and a half years. Okay, so a, a year and a half uh, in, in Hong Kong and about seven years in China. No, five and a half. Five, in China. five and a half so, years. So great, okay. Great China, right. Um, so you also mentioned the word guanxi, which is also something I want to discuss with you, and you guys might be interested in this. What kind of business are you in, Marcus? Uh, I'm, I'm doing some online business. I'm making games for games. kids. Games, right. This is something we're going to get into because Marcus is going through a very <laughs> special phase in his life. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the notion of this term, guanxi, which is, if you translate it literally, it means relationship. But what is your understanding of guanxi when it comes to Chinese culture? Guanxi is basically connection or network. But I guess it has like a deeper meaning than than what 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 you mean when you say connections or network. It's uh, it's it's more deep. It's like personal connections, friendships, uh, mixed with business connections. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think you understand why this is so important for the Chinese folks? I think so. To some extent, it's it's like the society, like in Western society, or like for example in Sweden, doing business with other people. There's a lot of how to say like structure, like the like the legal framework and and the way people work. You don't need to trust each other to the same extent mm. because there's already uh, systems in place so that you don't need to trust each other. Whereas in China. There are not systems in place, and people need to trust each other in order to be able to do business. Um, yeah. Interesting. That's a very Western way of interpreting it. Yeah. 
but I have interested. There's, there's also, I mean, it's, it's, it facilitates business. Like if you're doing business with people you know and you trust each other and you like each other, there's more flexibility maybe. So like if, if I'm like gonna order some parts from like a factory in China, right? And I know, I know the owner of the factory and we're kind of like friends. If I have problems with my payment, like one month, he might be more flexible. And if he has problem with delivering the stuff I ordered another month, then it's like, I'm gonna be more flexible and we're not gonna start suing each other or whatever. Right. So it, it can also facilitate uh, doing business together. Um, this, this rises a very interesting thing, and Ames was just asking me about this. Um, your interpretation of Guanxi is obviously based on your own culture, your past experience, and so yeah. when you compare it, you know, you're looking at the Western system of yeah. how businesses are being set up. Yeah. Business relationship, right? Yeah. It's organized, it's systematic, there's black and white, there's the legal system to kind of shape things. Yeah. So the trust is not between you know the people you're dealing with yeah exactly it's a bigger system yeah that you have more dependency on yeah exactly. uh, and, and 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 this for me is a it's a it's an interesting perception because perception because i don't i don't i don't come from the west i'm come i'm here mm -hmm. and how i would explain to people is understanding what the western system is i think people in china or most people in asia they value the interpersonal relationship more than the system. Yeah. Uh, they think things should be flexible because every deal mm. and every person and every situation is unique to themselves. So sure, you can set up the legal system, you can have contracts and any, anything, but I think they put priority. Mm. They put priority in, uh, in, in interpersonal relationship. Whether it is private, their private lives, whether it is a business, it doesn't matter for them. Mm. And I had a, I had, I, I told the story multiple times in Periscope, and I had this argument with my former uh, boss when I was working in the bank. Yeah. She's a German, mm. and so uh, I was trying to um, emphasize the importance of Guanxi, mm. and she didn't seem to agree with me. Mm. But we were doing business in China. Mm. So let's say if you were to explain to a new guy from Sweden mm. in China and he's kind of like your sales manager or something, okay? And you have to explain to them doing business here is very different from doing business in, in um, back home, okay? Yeah. So how would you explain to him or how would you kind of uh, guide him through his work? So, I mean, there's like, again, like there's pros and cons, right? So doing business in, in Western countries or in Germany, for example, uh, can be very efficient. It can be very efficient because you like, you need a supplier for something or whatever. You can hook up with a new supplier and you can start working and you don't need to worry too much that they're going to try to screw you over or whatever. You're going to, it's, it's going to be efficient, probably. Uh, whilst in China, I would describe it as the there's uh, it's like in psychology or sociology, it's like an in group, out group kind of thing. Um, you you want to be in the in group, which means like in group, out group, which is like a concept. Uh, if you're in like your friends and your family and the people you know and trust, that's in group, right? And People you used to business with, but, but you don't trust them, or you don't you don't know them that much. You don't really have a relationship. That's out group, right? And I think in Chinese culture, it's kind of like there's maybe maybe in all cultures, but to a greater extent in Chinese culture, it's, it's uh, there are different rules that apply if you're doing business or like conducting any type of interaction business with in group family and friends. There's like one set of rules, uh, and it's you don't screw each other over. Uh, it's like more like an honor code about those kind of things. But if you're doing business with out group, then then it's basically uh, it's some sort of thirty like the the strategies of yes. work kind of thing, and it's it's permissible to screw other people over. 
because if you screw other people over you're doing that for the benefit of your in-group for the benefit of your friends or your family and that is seen as like morally permissible but screwing over your friends and family is not more morally permissible that's the way maybe some chinese people wouldn't agree with me but that's in my experience that's the way it works so if you're going to do business together it's in the interest of both parties to 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 get on like an in-group basis and the only way to do that apparently in china is like to get really drunk together i was gonna <laughs> ask you <laughs> KTV, right and, and, and maybe Smoke like cigarettes yeah it's like meet my family here's my family and we get together and we hang out and get drunk again <laughs> um to kind of like forge that kind of like personal uh bond relationship could you get used to it the, the getting drunk together <laughs> well the out group in group you know transitioning um, yeah i think the way so. of doing business so. but it's uh, it's so yeah again pros and cons it's inefficient in one way you, you have to spend a lot of time socializing and building these kind of connections uh but with which in the long run uh it's kind of worth it so it, and it's also like it, it's kind of like from a game theory perspective like to like the time energy and effort you put into building up the relationship that also signals that you you're in it for the long run right because if you just want to do like a quick deal with someone uh, and you're not interested in working with them long term you you're going to make different you you're prone to make like different kinds of decisions um and and kind of like the way you take care of that relationship and the way you do business is different than if you are looking at like doing business over many years uh and 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 you being able to uh, you being willing to invest in the relationship heavily upfront it's kind of like game theory theory wise is like you're signaling that you you doing that because you want to do business for like long term the long term hmm. Do you get frustrated of how seemingly inefficient people do business in China? Uh yeah, it can be very frustrating. It can be very frustrating, but I think uh I think it's more frustrating for western people who don't really understand the way it works and doesn't they don't understand one she or why it works the way it works and mm. that there's actually they only see the cons, they don't see the pros. Uh, and then it seems like very like, backwards way of doing things. Was there a period that you had to struggle and 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 realize, oh shit, this is how they do things or you just kind of okay, yeah, this is the game plan. Let's execute it. Yeah, I think for me I didn't didn't struggle. I struggled with other things in the culture and the things that I felt like was frustrating. Um but in terms of business i have been studying these kind of things and i've been reading a lot of books about guanxi and doing business in china so i had like a really good framework of mm. what i was expecting and so it wasn't that difficult for me you can tell why he got into fudan he's a smart cookie <laughs> uh uh someone asks if you have a chinese wife no i don't have a chinese wife yeah did you have a chinese girlfriend Uh no. When you were in China? No, I had a Japanese girlfriend actually. What was it? What's wrong with the Chinese girls? <laughs> really? Yeah. Did you did you have a close relationship with any Chinese person when you were in China? Yeah, I have Chinese friends. Yeah. Okay. Um and so how's the drunk getting drunk scene like? <laughs> Let's talk about that. Um it's like different kinds of getting drunk sometimes. Um doing business in China it's you get together and it's kind of like a thing to make the the white person <laughs> mm. as drunk as possible and then the next day you can conduct business and you just know you just got to do it right um it's the bai baijiu the the Chinese uh, white liquor right um tastes horrible smells horrible you feel horrible the next day um <clears throat> so it's is that kind of thing which is more like uh how do you say it's, it's more of like um you 
you just have to do it right mm -hmm. and, there, and then there's like the other part which is it's more like symbolical in some way uh, sometimes you don't really feel like you're not really building relationships it's just like you 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 get super drunk and that makes the Chinese counterpart happy and you did what you were supposed to do and then you can do business and, and the other way of doing it is like you actually hang out and you get drunk together and you actually kind of make friends um, and I guess it depends it's like in my experience it's like when I've been doing business with people who are maybe around my age it's more of like that like actually making friends uh, hanging out getting drunk together mm. part and maybe like sometimes it's like like a generation up or two, two generations up even then it's like more like a formality you show them that you are um, you show your keenness uh, or like you know how things work and you just get drunk and you and it's like you're okay mm, okay you what you were supposed to do <laughs> got it yeah uh, and and so later on you decided to move on and leave China and yeah. come to Thailand. Uh, so first, so I was uh, I was uh, I was in business development in China, uh, living in Beijing, and then um, my boss at the time, who was living in Germany, he um, he wanted me to set up a regional uh, sales office in Hong Kong, so he sent me to Hong Kong we were doing business uh, throughout Southeast Asia, East and Southeast Asia. Um, so then I moved to Hong Kong. After that, I, right. I uh, was in the US for a while and then I did uh, stuff uh, to Bangkok. Right. Yeah. Someone was asking about female business associates. Uh, my guess is it's a very male-dominated scene when it comes to socializing in business. Uh, yeah, discussion. I would say, I would say so. Right. Yeah. Have you met a female, like a senior female associate, that would go out and get drunk with you? No. Usually, they're kind of exempt. Right. <laughs> they yeah. don't have to. Mm -hmm. which, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, okay. What to do if my girlfriend break up with me? Please help me. I'm struggling. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong channel. <laughs> so you went to the states. And what happened there, and why are you in Thailand then? Uh, so I, I spent three months in Philadelphia because I, I had a um, Swedish friend from a uh, business school in Sweden who was working there for a big Swedish company. Uh, and I had never been in the States before, so I took the opportunity to spend some time in the States. And also my sister was studying at the time at the UN University of Peace in Costa Rica. So that was also a chance for me to, to fly down there and visit her. How's the impression of the real USA versus before you have set foot on it? Um, I don't know. I kind of think I knew what to expect, oh. but it was it was interesting. I liked it. It's an interesting experience. Um, in terms of the people, or yeah, the place, the people, culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any culture shock? Not really, no. <laughs> I mean, having have you spent, studied all the books about America? Yeah, but it's not that different. <laughs> I mean, like being Swedish and then having spent so much time in in, uh, in Asia, that was more of a culture shock. I the think, discrepancy is not as much. Yeah, and I think as a Swedish person, we're very familiar with American culture. Mm. So. Mm. Anything memorable about USA that you miss, or you're like, wow, that's really unique, even for a Swede. sizes of the people <laughs> the size of the people yeah very impressive <laughs> very impressive <laughs> not making fun of the fat people i'm just stating the obvious because i mean that was what shocked me yeah especially the recent years going back yeah most people are big yeah and they're super big yeah and i just ask why this happened you, you know it's a diet i know i, <laughs> I, I, I know it's a diet yeah, but the way they eat you it's think uh, it's it's biologically impossible yeah but no yeah. they're proving you wrong it's like no 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 i can get even bigger yeah yeah, yeah. you know so oh, but, okay. uh, i can i can see nothing how shocks happens. you huh? nothing, nothing no, surprises i mean you. like i can see <laughs> i can see how that happens like the the culture mm -hmm. if, if that's the way you grow up and the stuff you you 
you are fed when you are a kid, like the treats, it's very different from the treats in a lot of other countries. Mm. And if, if, yeah, it's just, I, I can see how it's difficult if, if that's the way you grew up, like burgers and fries and stuff like that. It's like, it's not even like for me, uh, I had like pizza and burgers sometimes, but that was like really like a treat and it was like a weekend kind of thing and then mm. throughout the week I had like quite 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 unhealthy, uh, I mean like quite healthy food and, and I was used to that, but I think for Americans the things I think is a real treat and which you should only have sometimes, it's like the everyday routine, right? You have like a sweet bagel for breakfast and then you have burgers and fries for lunch and then you have a pizza unlimited for refill like, soda yeah exactly it's like that's for me that's cream, like cheesecake factory yeah, yeah. but uh, i think if i would have grown up eating like that it would be very difficult because that kind of thing gets ingrained in your brain and what kind of things you need to I know. fulfill and then i think it would be very difficult to get out of it so i can understand how people become like super obese well the, the crazy thing i i feel about this whole um phenomenon mm. is like you said people growing up are conditioned to just know about these products eat it on a daily basis yeah and because everyone is doing it you don't know the problem or you don't realize it's a problem mm. until you know you get sick yeah you know and um, now you can't even fat shame people because it's inappropriate. Yeah. So they're proud of being fat mm -hmm. instead of thinking maybe I should do something different. Yeah. But but for me, that's also culturally distinctive mm -hmm. because I don't know if there's another culture that is like that. Yeah. Not in Europe, right? No. Not in China. No. Right. I mean, yes, there's obese people in China, but. Yeah. not to that extent yeah um, but I guess it's connected to, to I mean their history like the, it's quite a young country so the food culture kind of is kind of young as well it's like a mix of like different uh, but that's the thing. Like European there's, I don't know how it happened there's no but that's the thing there's no food culture it's more the the the, the, the Corporations were setting this, the food culture yeah. with media, with marketing. They yeah. were setting the standards yeah, of yeah. how people should eat, yeah, yeah. how people should perceive yeah, these yeah. food. Yeah, yeah. So there wasn't any like, oh, I grow up eating rice mm. and, 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 and or potatoes. Mm. You know, that wasn't USA. The USA yeah. was cereals, colorful cereals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you have, uh, you know, like soda. Yeah. You know, and uh, Mountain Dew. You know, I don't know if you tried it. I have tried it. It's yeah. the nastiest thing yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. But you know, people drink it, like drink bottles of it, on yeah. it like as yeah. if it's water. Yeah. But that's not culture. That's yeah. just marketing from corporations feed to I guess the people. So. I guess. Yeah. So I guess like there was like a I don't know vacuum. Like there was like an opportunity for businesses in the U.S. to create food culture, mm -hmm. whilst in other countries or like back in Europe, it was already there. It's like no businesses didn't have that kind of influential reach i guess yeah quick fast but cheap yeah. food yeah uh, i mean anyway that's another topic to discuss um uh, but moving along then you decided to come to bangkok yeah and, and what made you make that decision um yes yeah, so i was living in hong kong and then had a like a stint in in, in the u.s um I just knew that I wanted to stay in Asia and I had been to Thailand a few times because I had, I had a Swedish friend who was living in, uh, in Bangkok but I, I'd only been to Bangkok, I've been there for business like once and then I've been visiting my friend like twice and it's a little bit crazy, I should have gone to the islands or like somewhere else, right? But I, I had only been in Bangkok and I only knew people in Bangkok, nowhere else in Thailand and I knew I really liked Thailand, the food, the people, the weather, everything was just like perfect for me. Um, and I was actually reading about Chiang Mai before I made the decision to move to Bangkok. And it seemed interesting, but I've never been there. So I thought like, okay, I will move to Bangkok where I know people and I like Bangkok. And then I will explore and see where I will end up later. And then I ended up <coughs> moving to Chiang Mai after one and a half years. What got you here? 
Um, a, bis a business partnership, actually. Mm. Uh, so I had a friend um, who suggested that we start doing some online business. It's like Amazon was all the rage at that time. Um, and I was a bit skeptical at first. Um, but eventually I was convinced. And since she was living in Chiang Mai, and I had started to visit Chiang Mai and really starting to like Chiang Mai, and then I figured, like, why, why not move to Chiang Mai? And so I did, that's like four and a half years ago. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, so you've been here quite a bit. Yeah. Okay, do you speak Thai? Ames is asking, would you ever move back to Hong Kong? Uh, the things, the way things are going now, maybe not, but I like Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a cool place to live and what I think a lot of people who haven't been to Hong Kong and even people who have been to Hong Kong, uh, maybe it's like visiting, they think it's just like a big city and nothing else. Um, which it is, but there's also a lot of, there's beaches and nature and hiking and really cool nature places, which I appreciate. So it's, it's, it's a nice place to live. Mm. Um, but um, not really. Yeah, I like Chiang Mai. I like more nature. It's and better like here. Laid back kind of. Ames, uh, come to Chiang Mai. Yeah. Ditch, ditch, <laughs> ditch Hong Kong. Just come here. Okay. Yeah. It's better here. Uh, Paula is asking, how has the pandemic affected your business? Or choice of where to live? Not much, I would say, in terms of where to live. So, I've just been living here in Chiang Mai and would have been here. Do you have any intention to go back home, like Sweden? No, no. <laughs> Why not? Because it's just too interesting to live in, uh, in like a totally different culture and another part of the world where I'm not from enriching in a way like learning about other cultures other languages and also from a personal development perspective like when you are in a different totally different culture it also and you learn about that it also makes you reflect upon your own culture and your own personality uh, it's kind of like a fish in the water kind of thing if you just like living in your home country there's a lot of things about yourself and your own culture that you don't really see so I like that. I like that aspect. Is there anything in Sweden you miss dearly? I think food, nature as well. But like since I moved to Chiang Mai, it's like I have all the nature that I want. Here. I know. And what what's good about Swedish food? It's just a homey feeling, I suppose. Uh, yeah, it's just the like the stuff I can get at a supermarket, like a lot of like different cheese and yogurts and like stuff meatballs. like that. But it's like yeah, meatballs. <laughs> Yeah, and no, all the all, all kinds of like supermarkets in Sweden is like amazing what this kind of stuff you can get. And mm -hmm. here it's like, yeah, I can get like some imported stuff, but it's like, right. it's, it's limited, but better than in China. In China, I was really missing, when I was living in China, I was really missing the food and the stuff that I could get in the supermarket here is actually better. And also I love I love Thai food and there's a lot of good Western food here. So, oh, but you know, when you were in China, it was almost more than ten years ago. If yeah. you were to go back now, I'm pretty sure the yeah. supermarket yeah, scene is better. a lot different. Yeah, where's the nearest IKEA, Bangkok? Yeah, <laughs> they do shipping here and the shipping is very affordable. So, I have bought a lot of IKEA furniture yeah. at my home in, in Chiang Mai. Do you buy IKEA furniture? I've been to IKEA, let's see, did I buy any furniture? I mean, in Hong Kong I did, and in Shanghai I did. Beijing mm. I did as well. In Bangkok, I bought some stuff from IKEA in Bangkok, when I lived in Bangkok, but mostly like kitchen stuff, mm. uh, yeah. Okay, all right, switching gears, and this is probably an obvious question. Uh, you're smart, you've studied in great universities, You've worked in companies at management level. I'm assuming you make a good salary. And then you just gave up all of that. And you're almost starting from scratch again. Why? <laughs> yeah, I just, um, I always had from the, from this, like from when I started business school or even prior to that, I knew I wanted to do my own business. Um, and I've been doing entrepreneurial stuff before. I was actually, I was sourcing, I was designing and sourcing neckties 
from China back in was that like 2007, 8, maybe something like that, mm -hmm. and was selling online, so it's running a little web shop. And even prior to that, I had been importing things from China, selling to friends and other, like uh, I don't, I've all, always been running some like small business stuff. Oh, so like I on the side. On the side. So I always knew I wanted the help and goal was to become an entrepreneur. I just wanted to make make some money first and get some experience. So yeah. But there was also there was always a safety net when you were doing the side business. <clears throat> yeah. And, and now the safety net is kind of gone yeah how does it feel like um, yeah that can be a little bit scary but I I enjoy the freedom that comes with it and uh, yeah like being able to do what I want to do um, in terms of like realizing ideas that I have do you think because you've because I'm ask, also asking these questions to myself I come from a similar background I worked for 10 years I had a decent job mm -hmm. I could have keep working and climbed the corporate ladder and instead mm -hmm. I decided to come out and you know do my own thing mm -hmm. um, and obviously when you have a stable income plus a business on the side um, it's easier to take calculated risk mm -hmm. versus right now you know even if you do have some savings mm -hmm. but you have to make big investment decisions mm -hmm. that would make it or break it mm -hmm. have you done those decisions have, have, have you you know done those decisions or is it is it any different than you have to do it when you had a job um, yeah sure there's always like you need to um, you need to decide how much risk you're willing to take on right uh, but I, I've had like side gigs like writing jobs and like stuff like that on the side um, so for example I did I when I first moved to Bangkok I uh, I was writing for a Swedish company making book summaries personal development books and business book summaries that they then had professional voice artists record and then they had like a uh, like a subscription service for Swedish companies um, so it's like education for employees so I was do I was bringing in some income from that which made my business venture kind of ventures less risky in terms of how how if anything went like really bad how that would affect me mm. uh, financially I would still be kind of okay mm -mm -mm. so I think that's also something to think about that you have some kind of fallback position or some kind of little thing on the side and it, that you might be able to scale up in case uh, in case things doesn't go well business wise so it sounds to me that while you're working or even taking this route of being 100% an entrepreneur, you have accumulated enough skill sets so that it doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter how the business would go south, if yeah. touch wood, that's a possibility, you still have some skill set to kind of keep afloat. Yeah, and I think that's also important to uh, to think about the, the kind of kinds of skill sets you develop. Mm -hmm is sometimes it can sometimes turn out to be more important than how the business you're trying to build or what you're trying to do actually goes like how, how it pays off financially because a lot of the times it's like you do one project and maybe it doesn't go well but you learn a lot of stuff that leads you to the next project that that's actually going to work out better but that other project wouldn't have worked out better if you didn't, if you didn't acquire those skills. Oops, sorry. And how do you identify the skill sets you want to learn? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess it's uh, like inclination, like what kind of things you find interesting, mm -hmm. and you try to work on projects that kind of incorporates different aspects that you're interested in and things you actually want to learn. But I mean, it's it's a dynamic process. It's a process of discovery, right? Um, I've I've been in those situations myself where I'm trying to like figure out what do I really want to do, and there's like so many opportunities, so many things hmm. 
uh, and it's really it's really difficult to think your way there. You at some point you just need to jump in and do something and realize that this might not be the thing that I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing, but I'm going to learn something and I will have there will be like new opportunities opening up because I did this or because I acquired new skills and so on. Was if you don't you stand still, you don't do anything. Those those opportunities or those new doors will not open up. So, is there a philosophy you apply to when, given the options, you have to make a decision in terms of okay, I want to choose this. You know. So yeah, my philosophy uh, based on my decisions are based a lot on what I feel like, what I feel excited about doing, um, and I feel much more excited about doing entrepreneurial stuff than than, than working corporate. Hmm. Um, so it's still an intuition. Yeah, it's like I want <laughs> I want to enjoy my life. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want to have creativity as part of my life, mm. creating stuff and having ideas. And th that to me is more important than, than financial security or whatever you have, like stability that you get from a job maybe. Mm. Um, it's interesting how you replied the question because you come across as a very logical being. Yeah. Right. You you have knowledge. You have experience. So when it comes to people making decisions, mm. you know, there's usually a process that yeah. is, you know, kind of methodology. You know, like there's a there's a way to do it. Yeah. But instead, you, you're telling me basically it comes to what I like doing, mm. and if this feels good, then I would choose this to do. So yeah. that kind of takes away the process of whether that is high risk or real, I'm not saying you're not analyzing it. Mm. I mean, it's not a zero something, obviously, mm. but uh, I'm just a little surprised how intuition is more of a thing that you decide to say in terms of having a uh, lo logical decision, decision making process. Yeah, I think it's like for, uh, for all of us humans, I think there's always uh, our core values and emotions is so it's like it's what's kind of rules us right and mm. then we like the the logical part or the cognitive parts comes like on top of that and we kind of like justify what we're doing or what we want to do um, in relation to to our core values or our feelings mm. um, so i think i yeah I'm, I'm, i think i'm very like logical and like i'm very you seem to have a good balance of both sides of things. Yeah, but I, I, I think like, so for, for my values are more related to creativity and freedom mm. and being able to do my own things. Yeah. Uh, so I value that and then I can apply my logic to, to, to that. And I actually think that's a very, uh, that's a very important attribute when it comes to adapting to things that don't always make sense and that's also something I try to explain to people yeah. through Periscope especially those watching from the West yeah. because you're not a typical Westerner mm. obviously you've been living in Asia and you've picked up you know um, different attributes and all that but for someone that has not that has been Let's say, you know, going under a conventional education system, they've, they've been growing up with a Western ideology and all that. It's very hard for them to let their intuition take the lead. Yeah. I think a lot of people have, it's like a framework which is like culturally ingrained, like mm -hmm. you're supposed to, I mean, if, you, if you're going to make the smart decision, like statistically, like you you're pretty much always better off statistically depending on who you are and like what you can do but statistically on average the better bet if you want to maximize like your income and your status or whatever is like you study hard and then work hard right. in corporate is that like the scientific approach yeah yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's like uh, uh, like yeah um, 
think a lot of people in not everybody obviously but a lot of people in corporate they're not really happy but it's more status and like like the economics of it all that is kind of like the framework mm. which also leads to what, what you said about being logical if if, if i'm going to be logical if the framework is like I, i need to make as much money as possible which with not while not taking too much risk then uh is the way to go and you can go into upper management and make a lot of money and you just need to base away that path but i think some of us are want to blaze our own path right being on a hero's journey as they say <laughs> i think that's more exciting more fun and that's kind of that's driving me yeah or you simply don't see you yourself being happy even if you could achieve that yeah exactly Go. yeah yeah exactly I, w- i wouldn't be happy oh. i wouldn't be happy right yeah. hmm. do you think you wasted a lot of time doing the things that was going to take you through that path but now you're making a big detour and doing something totally different uh what do you mean in terms of <laughs> just in, well, i mean okay efficiency yeah right this is a this is a notion that i always like to discuss with people um again coming from a western background uh being business about things yeah. efficiency is something that you 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 must take priority mm-hmm. right but if you talk about the efficiency of personal development mm-hmm. becoming successful mm-hmm. achieving your dreams then in, in in your case you're you're doing things that is unnecessary if you want to be an entrepreneur and and pursue this and being in Chiang Mai yeah wouldn't you say so like you're yeah, not you're like not maximizing to, yeah. efficiency yeah but i think i i think i learned a lot in business school when he was interested yeah but even if you didn't go to business school you could have done this and you could have learned a lot more too just yeah, in a sure. different way sure i could have gone a different right. way but you would spend less money in maybe tuition or you know yeah sure <laughs> just being devil's advocate here yeah no i i i, I totally agree but i i uh, i cherish i cherish the, ex- the experience that i got and, and, and what i learned in business school and all opportunities to like spending time in china hong kong with people i got to know and uh, and also like i'm i'm kind of like uh like the intellectual type when it comes to reading and studying mm-hmm. I love like a lifelong learner so I keep I I I I read a lot of books and it's non-fiction I read business books personal development books science psychology stuff like that um so I I I like that kind of aspect so I like to that I have like uh that I'm grounded like I I I've, I've spent some year mm-hmm. at university and kind of learning that 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 kind of stuff yeah so I guess if you were to do it again you would still do the same thing uh yeah i i think so or would there Pretty be much. anything I'd different probably change some things maybe mm-hmm. but like in general yeah i would probably do pretty much the same thing cool cool uh someone's asking if your parents are still alive uh my mom is still alive my dad passed like 12 years ago okay will they rely you as they age financially what rely you as they age uh, no no so this also like maybe one uh good thing about like being from sweden so my social welfare is too nice yeah it's like my mom is uh, my mom has had like a really really uh, good career and she's making good money she's she will retire uh, in a couple of years mm-hmm. um but i mean she will have like a great pension and yeah Right. Moving to Spain actually. <laughs> oh. Yeah. The weather? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's usually the case. So um, no, I don't have to take right. care of my parents. Uh and and Paula was asking what do you do for fun? I read books. <laughs> Can't you tell by now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh what's your favorite book you're reading these days? What's a what's an interesting book you're reading this day, these days? So lately um I'm reading Kickstarter and Indiegogo, because mm. um, this stuff I might be getting into soon. I will have to learn those kind of things, and I never, I've never made a 
Kickstarter campaign or Indiegogo campaign, but I might be involved in a project that, where I have to know how that works. What's the name of the book? It's called Launch Boom, and I think that's the name of a company, they're kind of like a consultancy company in the US who help people to, to do campaigns, and they wrote this book. Okay, so it's a technical guideline book. Yeah, it's like a, it made like a system of how to approach it and different aspects, uh, how to pre-market the, the, the launch and how to how to set up on the platform and making videos and how to approach mm. yeah. Do you play chess? I don't play chess. I know how to play chess, but I haven't I haven't played that much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, cool. Uh, again, this is this is um, kind of like a spontaneous scope. I didn't have any agenda, and uh, Marcus was also kind of put on the spot. I don't know what you think about this. We can discuss later. Yeah. Um, but um, here you go. Another person that um, I'm sharing conversation with you guys uh, because um, Marcus does come across a very intelligent person and I think we might have things we will do in the future as well um, so hope you enjoy it and um, you don't have a social media profile that people can follow you right yeah. people want to see more of me they can just watch uh, Avatar the, on the back <laughs> <Someone> right <laughs> Yeah, come to Chiang Mai. There's plenty of guys like uh, Marcus, I, and entrepreneurs here that are doing crazy 